Welcome. Glad to see you here today. <laughs> We're all back here. Yeah. At least we have a big crowd in the choir today. Must be spring break or something. Wow. I'm just glad that anybody's here this morning. So well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here and that you've chosen to be with us today. And we welcome everyone and hope God's going to bless you in a very special way. Let me, let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each row. I'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. And go ahead and check in on your, on your cell phone. And, uh, and I know you're here for all kinds of enlightenment, so let me enlighten you with some of the activities that are going on here at Community Baptist Church. First of all, our Lenten lunches. We we hosted the Lenten lunch this past Wednesday, and it was a wonderful success, as it always is. So thank you, thank you, Lana, and and everybody else that participated in uh, in uh, making sure that the lunch went off uh, without a hitch. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was delicious, and we are grateful for that. Um, uh, the Lenten lunch. We're of course we're doing this all through the season of Lent, leading up to to uh, Easter. Uh, so this Wednesday it will be at First United Methodist Church. So we invite you to come to First United Methodist Church at 12 o'clock on Wednesday, and we'll have about a half an hour worship service and then enjoy lunch together. Uh, also, you'll see in in your bulletin there uh, that we will be hosting again this year the the Tenebrae service. Um, and some of you have been a part of this. Some of you haven't. We we've only done that one time here, but we will be hosting that um, on the evening of Good Friday. It will be a 7 o'clock on the evening of Good Friday, which is April the 19th. And it is a, a powerful service, uh, a reminder of the crucifixion of Christ, the, a reminder of what Christ went through on that Good Friday. And so uh, uh, put that on your calendar, and we hope that you can be here for that. Our upperclassmen group, uh, or anybody else, uh, has been invited to participate in a Downton Abbey tea. How many of you are familiar with Downton Abbey? Uh, A good good portion of you are. You know this. Uh, And this will be Saturday, April the 27th. Um, I think seating for this is limited, so if you would like to participate in it, please see Sue Berry. Give her a call. Let her know that you're interested in being a part of this as soon as possible because uh, she needs to know. And um, I think it was it cost about $30 or something like that. So uh, it's, it's not, a, not free, but uh, um, uh, please let her know if you're interested in doing that. And also we have our Extreme Build sign-ups on the table there. Uh, if you'd like to participate in that, please sign up. And you can go for the whole week or you can go for a day or two or three days, however long you want to go for the Extreme Build uh, and, and this is a, 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 a ministry that we have as we join with volunteers around Kentucky in McCreary County, uh, Kentucky. And in one week, we will build a house. It's really amazing to watch this happen. So uh, if you'd like to, to see this and participate in this, then sign up for as much as you can. Uh, today's theme is love. And uh, so 
I, you know, as, lo- as, as I'm going to say in just a few minutes, love is not something you feel. It's something that you do. So let me ask you to do something. Stand up and love on each other. the source of all our lives and love, we look to you not only as our great example, but also as our constant companion. When we cannot see beyond the mundane dreariness of our lives, when our future looks bleak, and in those moments when we find ourselves paralyzed by situations that deplete us, You remind us of the future that you prefer for us, a future of hope, 
abundance and peace. When we feel lonely, when our human interactions produce pain, and when we find ourselves at at our most unlovable, you remind us that we are your children and we are recipients of your unconditional love. As your beloved, we long to be loving people. A people who are known by our love of God and our love of neighbor. And as such, we come alongside those who we know are in need. We grieve with those who grieve. We seek healing and wholeness in our relationships and in our world. We pray for those who suffer from natural or man-made disasters and for those tasked with meeting the incredible needs of those disasters. We pray for those who are unemployed and underemployed, for those who worship their work and for those who labor tirelessly for more more just economic structures. We seek to be a united and a uniting church. So help us, O God, to truly fulfill our mission of being the presence of of Christ to a world in need. Help us, O God, to love one another, especially those who are hard to love, as you have taught us to do. For For we pray this in the name of our brother and our friend who loved us first. Amen.
you all are here this morning. You know it's my time of the of the month or the quarter when it's the fifth Sunday of the month. I'm glad that you all are in church this morning. I want to talk about uh, generosity and how important uh, generosity is and what the word generosity means. Let's pretend that we have a candy bar and we break that candy bar in half well, we're going to wrap it first, and then we break it in half, and it's in two pieces, and one piece is larger than the other piece. What piece will you give your friend? The small piece or the larger piece? If you choose to give your friend the larger piece, I would consider you to be a generous person, and you understand and you know about generosity. We could say that generosity is when you give something to another person without expecting to receive something in return. We can be generous in many different ways. Some people are generous with their time. They, they give of their time even though they might be quite busy and tired. And many people are generous with their talents. We have people here in our church that are singers, they're builders, they're caregivers, carpenters, gardeners. And even this week in our church family, we had people that were generous with their cooking skills because we served a whole lot of people lunch here Wednesday. And people gave of their time and their talents to put a meal together for our community. Then there's other ways that you can be generous, too, and that's with your possessions and of your money. Even though some people may not have a lot of money to give, they give to help others. Have you ever thought about being generous with your love? I can tell you a little story. Several, many years ago, one of the churches that I worked for, I played the organ for uh, several years ago, about 20 years ago, and every Sunday after church, this lady would come up, and she, she had a hard time walking, and she would give me a hug. She wouldn't say a word, but she would give me a hug. And I just thought, and she didn't realize that at that time in my life that I needed a hug more than anything. And she did. And every time I see her out in the community right now today, you know what she does? She runs for me, even though she can't run very fast. But she does give me a hug. So that's an example of generosity of not only our talents, of our possessions, but of our love. And that's what we want. 
want to be sure that we give is our love. The Bible tells us or gives us a definition of, of generosity. Jesus said, good measure, pressed down, shaken up, and running over will be given to you. For with the same measure, you will measure it with measure, will be measured back to you. That come from the scripture this morning, Luke 6, 38. And a good measure is an amount given that is more than enough. Do you know how much love God has for us and how much grace God has for us? If we can imagine, we can't imagine how much love it is. Somebody told me this morning that it's bigger than all the oceans put together. And that's a lot of a lot of space and a lot of water. But God's love for us and God's grace for us is bigger than all of that. We can't even begin to imagine even talk about that. So this week, I want you to give some of that grace and that generosity and love to others. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this dear church that has taught us so much about being compassionate and about sharing our love and giving of your grace. We're so thankful for that. And we're so thankful for the people that give of their their time and their money and their talents to, to show us that love and grace. In your precious name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Lord, we ask that you be with Tim and Heather as they leave this afternoon to head to Indianapolis for Tim's surgery tomorrow. Please be with the family and the surgeons. Thank you, Father, for showing us how to love unconditionally. Help us to follow your teaching, to turn the other cheek, to always be compassionate, just as you are compassionate. Bless these tithes and offerings. And Lord, please guide us and help us to figure out how to best serve our world in need. Amen. Amen. scriptures from the gospel of Luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 38 but I say to you that listen love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you 
If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of the Lord. to begin by digging a little deeper into our self-awareness this morning. And I know that that may be a little uncomfortable to do, but I want to, to do that by saying 
if I were to ask you what your philosophy of life is, would you be able to tell me? If I were to ask you what your philosophy of life is, would you be able to tell me? The fact is that most of us don't really think that much about our philosophy of life. And by that, what I mean is the the operating set of beliefs that drive our view of the world. How we see things, how we react to things, how we treat people, how we approach a new situation, how we spend our time and our energy and our money. It's worth taking a moment to examine our philosophy of life because in a lot of ways our philosophy of life creates our legacy. It's kind of like a GPS system for our life. It sets our direction. Now most of you have, you have some experience with, uh, with GPS systems. Uh, uh, some of you have them automatically installed in your car and others have a Garmin or a TomTom or something like that or perhaps you have an app on your telephone. Uh, you, you program in your destination and it gives you the directions that you need to get where you're going. Uh, GPS technology came in handy for, for me and Susan a few weeks ago when we uh, traveled to Georgia for my reunion. Now, I've made that trip dozens of times, and I know, I know the way like the back of my hand. However, there was a mudslide just this side of Nashville, which required me to get off of I-24 onto some roads that I wasn't familiar with. And so what did I do? I got my phone out, I pulled up Google Maps, and I told it to get me around Nashville. And I followed its directions. Got me there. Now, of course, it's possible for GPS uh, to, to malfunction from time to time. Just a few years ago, we were in North Dakota and following uh, our GPS directions to get to a location we were looking for. And it was taking me down all kinds of back roads and even dirt roads. And suddenly it announced that I had reached my destination. And I looked around and I'm sitting right in the middle of a farmer's field. So, so be careful out there. Even GPS systems can mislead you from time to time. But generally speaking, they're good tools for navigation. I heard someone say someone, somebody stole my GPS. Now I have no direction for life. And unfortunately, that's true for too, too many people. Their lives lack direction. And that is precisely why we need a dependable philosophy of life. Because it acts as a kind of internal GPS for our lives. You see, with a reliable philosophy of life, we can program our lives with a set of beliefs, a set of values, a set of priorities that will guide us in the direction that we want to go. And in my opinion, the best source of that philosophy is Jesus Christ. The Scriptures tell us that He is the Word of God come down from heaven. He is God's revelation of the way our lives should be lived. 
And this is the most important truth that we all need to hear today. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, please hear this. Jesus' entire philosophy of, of life was based on love. Let me repeat that. Jesus' entire philosophy of life was based on love. John Mason says when you base your life on principle, 99% of your decisions are already made. And that's true. But let's change that just a little bit. When you base your life on love, 99% of all your decisions are already made. Do you see what Jesus is trying to do in today's scripture lesson? He's giving his listeners a new picture of what their lives should look like. Just a few verses before the beginning of of the passage that Chris read a minute ago, Luke tells us that, that Jesus was surrounded by a huge crowd of people. And this crowd of people included Jewish citizens and members of the the Jewish ruling class. The Pharisees were there. And it also included Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon who worshipped another god altogether. Also, along with them, there were Roman soldiers in the crowd who exploited and oppressed the Jewish people. And all of these folks were standing there in this huge crowd of people, shoulder to shoulder, with their enemies. Think about that. And so when Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, he was talking about the people that they were standing next to. That hated Roman soldier who exploited their power. The no-count Gentiles who weren't worthy to breathe the same air that they breathed. The uppity hierarchy, the low lives of society. You see, Jesus was introducing them to to a whole new way of looking at life. And he was saying to them, this is how things work in the kingdom of God. His entire philosophy of life was rooted in love. And you know what? I am constantly amazed by how many Christians miss that truth. And there's a reason for it, of course. And the reason is that for way too many of us, we have never really listened to the teachings of Jesus. There seems to be a need in our modern world to wrap anything that we stand for in a cloak of Christian piety. And and the result of that is that we twist the gospel to meet our own preconceived notions and ideas and political positions and even positions within the church that have nothing, nothing, nothing to do with love. Notice how Jesus begins his teaching here. But to you who are listening, love your enemies. Apparently, not everybody was listening. 
Earlier in this chapter, we see that the Pharisees, the, the Jewish religious leaders, were watching Jesus, looking for some reason to trap him, to bring him up on charges. They weren't really listening to him, were they? In verse 19 of this chapter, we we read that uh, lots of people were reaching out to touch Jesus because they'd seen healing power flow from him. And they wanted to take some of that power for themselves. Some of them probably weren't really listening either. They just wanted Jesus to fix their problem. And they're really not all that different from many of us. We come here on Sunday mornings and we sit in our comfortable chairs and sometimes we turn our minds off. And I understand that. We're tired. It's been a busy week. We're tired or we're distracted or we're angry or not even sure why we're here. But for whatever reason, we're not ready to listen to the gospel. And do you know why? It's because listening means we're open to change. And that means hard work. So Jesus knew that only a few people were really listening to his message. And he knew that most people weren't really ready to have their philosophy of life turned upside down. But to those who are listening, he offers a philosophy of life that provides not only hope, but also salvation. And it's a matter of how we look at things. Our philosophy of life. How we perceive things. Lloyd John Ogilvy once told about a man who was working a crossword puzzle. And, and so he asked his friends, what's a four-letter word for a strong emotion, emotional reaction to difficulty? And one friend responded, fear. And the other friend responded, love. Hmm. If you know, you know, if you think about it, those are the two words that generally define how we respond to life, aren't they? Love or fear. We respond either from a stance of of fear or a stance of love. And Jesus' philosophy is based on love, not fear. Let's listen to today's lesson again in in its entirety here. But to, to you who are listening, listen. For to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold even your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he asks a few powerful questions there. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those who can pay you back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid in return. But... 
Love your enemies, he says. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. What an amazing passage of Scripture that is. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives, a, gives us a beautiful picture of what a life looks like that is based on love. Now, I know what you're thinking. You didn't know I was psycho, did you? Well, some of you did, but... <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I can read your minds right now. You're thinking that's impossible. You're thinking we can't live like that. It's too much. Who can love their enemies? Who can do good to those who hate them? Who can pray for those who mistreat them? I mean, who can do that besides Jesus? He certainly did all those things, but He was Jesus. Can we? Can we really love like Jesus loved? Well, I believe we can. And I believe that Jesus believes we can too. Otherwise, He wouldn't ask us to do it. We may not do it perfectly. I mean, after all, we're not Jesus. But you know what? We can do it better than we're doing it now, can't we? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Back in 1991, there was a Jewish couple named Michael and Julie Weiser. They received the first, their first telephone call from a man named Larry Trapp. He was the Grand Dragon of the Nebraska Ku Klux Klan. You see, Trapp took great joy in harassing Jewish people and immigrants and people of color and gays. And he made threatening phone calls. He sent hate mail. He encouraged his followers to commit acts of vandalism and violence against non-whites and, and Jewish people. But Trapp made a mistake when he picked on the Weissers. You see, they weren't going to put up with this kind of nonsense. And you know what they did? They decided to fight his hatred with love. Michael Weiser, I guess he had caller ID or whatever on their phone, but they found out what Michael, I mean, what uh, Larry Trapp's phone number was, and Michael Weiser began to call him back. But instead of being angry with him, he would leave caring, friendly messages on Larry's telephone, on his answering machine. And when the Weisers found out that Trapp was a blind, wheelchair-bound diabetic, do you know what they did? They offered to run errands for him, to buy his groceries, go to the drugstore. And finally, the Weisers' con continuous campaign of love paid off. Because you see, Larry Trapp, Trapp left the Ku Klux Klan. He converted to Judaism. 
He gave the police and the FBI valuable information about local and national hate groups. He also called every single person that he had ever harassed and apologized to them. But the Weissers went one step further. Because you see, as Larry's diabetes got worse, the Weissers took him in and cared for for him in their home. Until he died. My friends, even though the Weissers were not Christian, they were certainly living a life based on Jesus' philosophy. Love those who love you? Huh? Anybody can do that. That's for unbelievers, amateurs. (laughs) Loving somebody like Larry Trapp, that takes grace. That takes the awesome, undeserved gift of love and mercy that God has given to us. The fact is that we live in a fear-based world of anger. And hatred and vengeance. So how do we find our way out of this? Well, I know that may sound simplistic, but it's also true. I think our only hope is the love of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love, that person remains in death. My friends, fear and hatred and unforgiveness lead to retaliation and revenge and isolation and even violence. And so choosing love over hatred, it frees us. It frees us from our own egos. It frees us from our, our fear and our pride. And it frees us to be a force for life and not a force for death. And you know the situation of our world today just as well as I do. You know that... that The we versus them attitude that prevails all across our society these days. You know the animosity and the hatred and the vitriolic language that spews across our social media accounts. Now let me ask you. Do you really see any other hope for this world than that the love of Jesus Christ will be revealed to all people? My friends, love is not something you feel. It's what you do. And loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, praying for those who speak evil for us, forgiving those who mistreat us, all of these things free us from that downward spiral of hatred. Ephesians 4 tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. 
Get rid of it all, he said. Not just some of it. Get rid of it all. Don't hold on to a tiny crumb of bitterness or, or malice or hatred. Because it'll just grow. It'll grow into rage and anger and separation and death. There's a better way. Show your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers and yes, even your enemies the love of Jesus. And let that love change the world. That's it. That's the hope of the world. And Jesus knew that not everybody was going to be listening to his teaching. And the truth is that the kind of love and generosity and mercy that he expects from us, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, not to our minds, you know, not to the natural human uh, personality. It doesn't make much sense. It's risky. It's asking us to give up our rights. It's asking us to give up our pride and our comfort. And yet, it is the most powerful way possible for us to show the world that we belong to Jesus. So I hope that you will reprogram your GPS this morning. Not your GPS on your car or your phone, but the GPS in your heart. And I pray that you have programmed it with the love of Jesus Christ. And that that will become the philosophy that guides everything that you do. In doing so, you will stand with Christ. And you will change the world. May it be so. Amen. Let us sing together. Oh, what a great song. What a great way to end this service. Let there be peace on earth. And the only way there is peace on earth earth, is through the love of Jesus Christ.
salvation in Christ. For the Lord has given it to you. Secure in the one who holds you, for God has rescued you. Patient in your duties, for God will use you. Go forth in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and love others in the name of the one who taught us how. Amen. Amen. Thank you.